the Bano twins are coming up next this week. But before we get into this dual interview, uh, friends, are you subscribed to Coming Up Next? It's pretty easy to do. All you got to do is go to comingupnext.com.au. Not only can you find links to subscribe on all of your favorite platforms, that's iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, you can also find the whole back catalog of podcast rambles for free. So why don't you go ahead, you click subscribe, I'll show you the interview. I mean, play it for you. Hey friends, what's going on? How are you this week? This is Coming Up Next, the podcast. I'm your host, Alistair Marks. This is my podcast where I interview creatives from all over the world about how they've managed to create a life of their own design. And on that note, thank you to my guest from last week, Jessica Lesky, uh, came on the show to talk to me about her uh, amazing documentary about boy band fandom, uh, which is opening in Australian cinemas on the 22nd of November. Uh, you can check it out, the podcast I mean, at comingupnext.com.au and your local listings for, uh, for showtimes for that. Now you'd think after um, 170 plus episodes of this show, what's this, 172, that uh, it would be, we'd be hard pressed to have uh, any sort of firsts uh, on the program, but we do have a first this week. I was very fortunate to uh, connect with the Bano twins, they're identical twins who are both actors. And uh, they have quite a remarkable story. They've been in and around the film industry since they were eight or nine years old um, and are both uh, filmmakers as well in their own right. And so I was really keen to speak with them about what it was like to kind of grow up in tandem, to be working alongside one another, um, to basically have a, a creative soulmate by your side through this, uh, through this journey in creative worlds. Um, but anyway, we, we speak about that. We speak about the way that the industry is shifting, if it is actually shifting. Uh, we talk about their lives, their careers, you know, the usual stuff. Uh, so let's get into it right now. Episode 172 of Coming Up Next, the podcast with Karina and Rochelle Bano. <laughs> that I've had on the show. Um, <laughs> well, it's an honour. <laughs> <laughs> well, the pleasure is absolutely mine. Not yet. Not yet? <laughs> you don't know that. Not yet. We'll That's see. true. <laughs> That's true. The, the, the confusion could um, could drive me insane. <laughs> yes, double I mean, trouble. I'm sure you've heard that one before. We sure have. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess, uh, I guess you guys have probably had this sort of thing your whole life, like people... Referring to you guys as a unit as opposed to individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rochelle, you can take this one. Yeah, um, we, we definitely have, I think, um, a really positive thing is that it was never, um, never a thing that our family did. Like we were never... We're definitely a unit, but it was never just us lumped in as a, as a two. It's more... I think it's a natural incl inclination of 
people around us that you're 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 made a pair and you they naturally compare one another especially when you have similar interests even though we do have varying interests or the twins the twins like yes. even just because we have an older sister and in our family we were just the girls and it was never Rochelle and I separated from our older sister Stephanie whereas as soon as we started going out into the world it was the twins yeah so it can be it, it can be uh it's something that we've grown accustomed to. I think we were always very well aware of how individual we were, so it's never really been an issue for us. But it's it's something that, um, yeah, we, we're definitely accustomed to. <laughs> right. And have you taken advantage of that? Karina? Uh, yeah. From time, I mean, look, it's not, twins aren't that cute when you're over 18, but when we were young. <laughs> you don't still dress it- the same? <laughs> no, I mean, we can share clothes, but I mean, definitely... Yeah, not not as cute now. But when we when we were little, it was definitely something that you know we we tried on every now and then. Mostly when we were when we were really young, we both were doing dancing. Rochelle kept on as we went older. I went more to the soccer and whatnot. But when we were really young and we all had uniform, oh not uniform, sorry, like leotards or costumes, um, and we had name tags. Um, all the kids had name tags around exam time and. We would just see what we can get away with and just one of us would go to the bathroom and then the other one would ask to go to the bathroom and the teacher would be like, I already told you to go, just go. And then we'd come back after we'd swap uniforms. <laughs> I mean, and then and then it wouldn't be until our grandparents showed up at the end of class and was like, why are you wearing Rochelle's leotard? That the teachers would kind of catch on. <laughs> um, so that was fun, just seeing what, would, what we could get away with. When we went in high school, we wouldn't necessarily fool the students anymore because we were with them so much that they got to know us as individuals. But when we popped into classes, you know, you only have English how many times a week and the teachers wouldn't really catch on as quickly. But they just played it safe and called us both Bano because (laughs) they couldn't get it wrong. Um, Yeah, but, I mean, we never got into any sort of trouble. It wasn't, it was more just a bit of fun and seeing seeing how long we could get away with it really. (laughs) And you guys, uh, you guys grew up in Sydney? We, we did. We did. Uh, we grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney. Um, just we, we were there until shortly after high school, so about 18, 19, and just with work opportunities, auditions and, and uh, Karina being at university, that was all um, closer to the city. So we sort of slowly migrated that way and, and so we're, we're much more Sydney-based now. Um, still go out. We still have family out there, which is lovely. Um, my our mum's still further out west, actually, so it's it's nice to go back and forth. But definitely Sydney based, yeah. Well, you guys have been, I guess, uh, performing or um, kind of, I guess, in artistic fields for quite a while. Do you do you remember? Did you guys used to put on like shows or things when you were kids with maybe with your sister as well? What do you remember the first time that you guys did perform? Um, Rachel, why don't you <laughs> tell us one? Um, yeah, we, we, we did. Um, we were always well we grew up dancing so there was always a performing aspect I think we, we enjoyed being on stage and I think that sort of element of the audience and and the, the preparation and the backstage so that was always something super exciting I know I do have a distinct memory of uh we have an older sister Stephanie and the, the three of us having a, a weekend where we came up with a song and we had to perform it to the family. It was very irritating for everyone involved other than us, I'm sure. And then we had it was pop stars. Pop stars. We had to recreate music videos that we saw. It was always something like that. And I, I do remember on the way over here, Corinna, I do remember when we'd go on holidays and we had like a camcorder, I do remember like us being out and 
I have some distinct memory of like pretending I was Steve Irwin and like taking over the camera <laughs> on the tour as if it was like some doco show. And yeah, so there was always an element of performing, but it was always just something that we were playful. And I think as we got to about about eight, nine, ten years old, we 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 were introduced, funnily enough, to the Olsen twins, and we just thought it was the coolest thing that they worked together and they could do their play thing together. And so we were just like, okay, well, we want to do that then. And and so we started doing bits and pieces since from about that age and it was commercials and um, little bits on TV and a, and a bit of modelling. You know, you have two young twins that look the same and have blonde hair. It's helpful to have one interchange when you need one. So, And I think um, as kids, you know, I, I mean, now that I know more so as an adult, but having kids on set, there's so many you know, regulations and you can only have them on for so long and, you know, that time is precious and having the two of us already you know, having a relationship and can kind of bounce off one another. That was such a such an advantage for any production that we were a part of because you didn't have to kind of stimulate us. stimulate us. We were already good to go and just kind of bouncing off one another from the get-go. So that was, yeah, we, we were very fortunate to be able to establish those kind of industry relationships because we just walked on set and were already comfortable. comfortable and, you know, yeah, we were in our element. I guess you kind of... Uh, there's an advantage, like you say, because of the regulations, you you kind of, the producers are almost doubling down so they don't have to waste as much time um, or not waste as much time. But if the child is having to leave for the day because they can only be there for six or seven hours, mm. if there's two of them, well, then they can be there for 12 or 14 hours. Exactly. Well, actually, uh, my very first job, Karina, this is me, (laughs) my very first job, um, we both auditioned. I think we actually had one audition beforehand for a Vodafone commercial, but I remember the second audition we ever did was with Dave Newman and Mm. it was for a... an Oreo commercial. They had just introduced chocolate cream in Australia and um, we both booked it, but I booked the... I suppose lead role and Rochelle booked my stand-in and they hired us both and flew us down to Melbourne. It was the first time we'd ever been on a plane. It was the most exciting thing in the world. And we just couldn't believe that we were getting to be treated so well to do something that we just were dying to do. Like we just were so excited. And then we went down and Rochelle, obviously both of us have the same skin tone and whatnot. So we, they could do lighting setups on both of us. She's the same height as me. So you know, they, they I am a little bit taller. Let's oh, that half a centimetre <laughs> makes all the difference. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, you know, they could have her on set and set everything up and then I'm in makeup and then we swap out and Rochelle's already rehearsed it and whatnot and she's had her time performing and then I jumped in and, and then I was able to get it done. So, you know, we, we've always bounced off one, one another and, yeah, it's always been an advantage. But then there were just other auditions where we'd go in and the the role was only written as one, <clears throat> but they'd see us together and just think, oh, why not? It, it's so much something different. It, and yeah, it's something different. It's something interesting. Like I said, when they're kids, it's it's something cute. And yeah, we we were able for so long to be able to do it together. It wasn't really. We very rarely work separately as kids, so we mm. were very lucky to be able to experience that together. And there was never any sort of competitive thing between us it was always you know so exciting if Rochelle got a call for something and vice versa it was never anything like oh I want to be on set and she gets to be on set it was never anything like that my mum was always just so um you know supportive supportive and encouraging of 
you know, both of us, if we ever wanted to stop, we stopped. And if we wanted to go to the audition, she'd drive us all the way from Fairfield into Mulliners <laughs> and <laughs> we'd go all the way into the city. And, yeah, it was never any question about it. That's quite brilliant. Um, so <laughs> the first job you booked uh, was also the first time you got to fly on a plane. Yeah. So that <laughs> both of those must have been pretty exciting milestones to be happening simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was yeah a big a big time for us. I remember it's such a the one of the things I remember to the lead up was that I was told I wasn't allowed to play sport beforehand because they didn't want me to have any bruises, and it was such a weird thing that I had to tell my teachers. Like everyone tried, I guess some, most people try to get out of PE, and I had kind of an excuse, but I was really sporty, so it didn't really make much sense. I, it was just such such a strange thing for me that I had this job at, at you know eight. It was just such a strange thing for I, me. I remember being at the kitchen table and our mum coming out and saying, oh, you, you got the commercial. And we jumped up and sung. We had our arms out and we were singing, I want to fly away. Oh, because we were on a plane? Yeah, we, that was the biggest <laughs> thing for us. We'd just never been on a plane and it was a huge dream and, and we got to sort of tick all these boxes in one little job, which was beautiful. What was uh, What was the feeling like when you got to Melbourne when you got off the plane and when you arrived on set for the first time? I'm going to say cold. Melbourne was very cold when we got there. <laughs> That's a good um, word to describe <laughs> Melbourne. Denim, the yeah. denim jackets with the fur, faux fur. The faux fur um, collar. Yes, I remember they were in all of our photos. They were very hot back then. Yes. Um, no, it was really fun because our mum was just so so supportive and, and just uh, – was always just there and and it didn't really feel like this weird strange thing because she was with us and it was just the three of us and Stephanie was obviously back home at school but we were just going away for a few days and we're always together and and it was just this adventure which I I I don't know I, I kind of feel like we carry that through to today because every job is different and you kind of don't really know um how it's going to be what's the house you're filming at and we got to meet the family that we were shooting this house and they had this beautiful dog and the whole crew was just so lovely and we were just it, it was just this wide-eyed bushy tail experience really lit the fire though yeah absolutely and so from there I guess when the commercials produced and it's actually on tv it must have been pretty exciting as well to to kind of Mm -hmm. see that progression yeah i this is i remember we were staying at my grandparents house and i remember my grandmother would wake up every day early and set the vcr on record and cheese tv and cheese tv to catch it and one day she ran down the hallway screaming that she got it and woke us up and we all came out and it played after a Crash Bandicoot ad, ad <laughs> and we just played it on loop for a good hour just talking about the whole experience and we were just like it just so wide-eyed about, oh, that's me, like that's me on TV and yeah. it was such a such a bizarre thing. And then from there we, I, I got a call, um, I think just obviously how I looked, the, home, the people at Home and Away um, cast me off that commercial because I looked like Shani um, Vincent. Shani Vincent from Home and Away, and I got a little uh, flashback role on that that played for a couple of episodes one week, and it was just such a weird thing that we just we almost went. For, it felt. I mean, maybe it was a bit of time between, but it felt like we went from job to job. Yeah. Um, quite quickly, which was which was so lovely. Um, and you know, we got we were able to feel comf- confident on set and get that experience quite quickly. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and Rochelle, I, I mean, I know you guys said that um, there wasn't any sort of uh, competitive feeling between the two of you, but when you see Karina getting this role on Home and Away, even mm. though I know that, um, I guess, about 10 years later, you get you would get a role on, on Home and Away <laughs> as well. It's so strange. <laughs> what, was, there, was there any sort of sense of uh, maybe not maybe not jealousy um, in the sense of not being upset that your sister's doing this, but a sense of feeling like you would like something similar? Um, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, as I said, it, not in our immediate surrounding. There was never this thing that Karina had got this thing and she was this superstar in the It wasn't like that. It was, it was all just like it was just a job because I think our family definitely wanted to – it was like you do the job and then you go back to school and it was all very – normal in life I think for me the only challenge was going to school we we became the Oreo girls and then when Karina was on home and away it was um it was this exciting thing for everyone and and uh, we have this joke in my family that I was literally for a little while there named the other twin because it was um exciting that Karina was there and and all of a sudden it wasn't too exciting that I was a part of an Oreo ad that people didn't really see me in and blah 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 and I just remember I was I was okay I just remember trying to articulate to my family that I just couldn't understand why why people didn't understand the difference of like this is great for Karina but I do it too and and it was kind of just that thing of like, oh, they'll get there. People don't understand the business as it is but it was really no, hard for me. Did, neither did we. No. We, we were the only and I guess to this day, we're, we were sort of the first in our family to go down that route. So it was still new for us. I don't think we'd really, there was no precedent for us. So we, yeah. we just, you know, it was just luck and opportunity and we were just figuring it out as we went along. It wasn't like, we, you know, we'd follow uncle so-and-so who did this and you get a manager and then this happens. Like it, was, it didn't ever felt like a ladder we were climbing. It was always just one thing led to another. And, you know, we did go through phases, like Rochelle said, where she was the other twin and we <laughs> literally got invitations to people's birthday parties and it would be Karina two. and sister. Karina. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, that, that stuff happened and, I mean, you can't unfortunately, you know, you, you can't help that sort of stuff. Like kids don't know any better. and But we didn't know any better either. You know, we know nothing other than being twins and, and we're pretty lenient with that sort of stuff because, you know, people, I mean, it's just We were always everyone. so aware that it was, we had something very special and not just in our relationship. We have a very special, supportive um, connection with our family. So I think I was, it, it was an odd experience in the school thing, but I always went home feeling really supported and it was never something that was continued on there. And so it was an odd uh, time, but I was, it was always, I was always auditioning. And so I kind of still felt like, well, I'm still doing it. So I'm okay. Like I, I can't really explain to you why I'm okay, but, but I am. And, but, um, and that's still kind of day. the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Like it ebbs and flows. Yeah. And what did your, uh, what do your folks do? Well, our, our, um, we've got a sort of a real mix in the, the family. Our, um, our, our mum's in electrical engineer, uh, engineering, no, uh, com- components. She, she's a sales rep for an electrical component company. Our, our sister's in um, PR, which is wonderful because that kind of crosses over into our industry um, and that's really lovely. We, we bounce across ideas all around the, the, all around the shop really and our mum loves getting our little um self-tapes with 
things. And I think for a while there, it was strange for her to see self-tapes because it's not a final product and, and all of that. But, she, you know, the whole family's very, very supportive now. And I guess um, it, from the sounds of it, your mum was kind of uh, very supportive uh, while you were growing up or while you were growing into it as well. Yeah, yeah, we're showing you. Yeah, we've always, all, we've just had such a supportive family in, in the sense that what we're doing, it's such a scary thing and it's always been, you know, everyone in the family was always saying it's a, the, the, the possible and probable rejection that comes with the industry and just the fact that it's, it's not about anything to do with talent a lot of the time. That's a scary prospect to be sending really young children into and it was always something that was really aware, we had to be really aware of, that it, it's not an easy road and, and the second you don't enjoy it anymore, that's okay if you want to step away. Um, but, no, we were always just so, so supported. Um, the amount of, you know, eight, uh, six-week NIDA courses we'd be driven to when we were way too young to drive ourselves. <laughs> we'd go to auditions after school around dancing and soccer. It was just always very supported and even to this day with um, – us as either producing our own things or we've just so happened to be able to do a, two short films not too long ago together. The, we've got the biggest fan club with our family. So it's really lovely because it's not their element and it, it is a weird world to, to step into. So we're just really grateful for that. Thinking back though, mum, oh, we call our mum mummy. Just going to get that out of the way. <laughs> mummy, um, she, she was quite smart thinking back on being very – like, you know, look, I, I appreciate and respect 100% that that is your passion and that's what you want to do. But at the same time, she wasn't at all going to stand for us just sitting at home and waiting for the phone to ring. You know, we had to be active in our lives and whether that was pursuing things on our own or having a representation or whatnot, you know, we always had to, we were always weirdly excited to work from the age of 14 and nine months anyway. So I don't know why we did it literally from the day we were able to. So, you know, it wasn't ever something that we were just going to sit around and you know, wait for the phone to ring. So she was always very open about, you know, you need to still do something with your lives as long as that is something you want to pursue. But, you know, we were just lucky that, you know, we were able to secure representation and have those auditions come through and, you know, didn't book and didn't always have job to job to job. But in the meantime, she wanted us to know that, you know, you still have to Pay your bills. Pay your bills and, you know, life life comes first ultimately. And if you can fund your life with your passion, that's great. But, you know, these things take time and she, she was, you know, honest about that. Mm. Very sage advice. Um, <laughs> and obviously she made you prioritise school as well. Yes. Yeah, but, uh, Rochelle here, there was, a, there was a time there where we sort of got to that weird age group where we were um, too young to play older parts and too old to play younger parts and we were heading towards our HSC and we thought, you know, we're going to take a step back from the acting thing, focus on our HSC and get that sorted. And then um, HSC came and went and it, it came time for possible universities and 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 just speaking for myself um university was never something that I was dreaming to do it it was something that I it kind of just seemed like the next step because that's what everyone does and we we of course applied to NIDA and um all of the the drama courses out there and to me at the time NIDA was the be all and end all and it's you know so highly regarded and we we were 17 and and we're already told prior like you likely won't get in you are too young you need life experience and all of that but I thought well, I'm gonna go anyway I want the experience and you'll be the exception <laughs> yeah it'll be me um 
but yeah, we, we did all of that. And I, I did go to, um, I started a course at the University of Notre Dame uh, doing theatre studies, majoring in theatre studies. And I got three weeks in and, and it just wasn't for me. The, I think the institution style, especially that it wasn't sort of in-depth drama, um, jumping in the deep end, I, I think that it just didn't suit me. And, and having had an agent growing up, I was just like, I've had my experience walking in casting offices and walking on sets. I, I really want to grow that because I feel like I really – um, grow in a in a sink or swim situation and so I was I, I decided I was going to leave and um, pursue g- getting an agent which I shortly did and and really from then I I, I always had full-time work um, Karina's very different you can sort of follow on after this mm. Karina's always had a very different approach to it um, <laughs> which you know just to show how many different paths there are I always had a full-time job um because I just needed that regiment and I made sure it was in the city so I could take uh, my lunch break for auditions and made it work for me. Whereas Karina, you can sort of go down your path. Mm. Well, yeah, I think, I think the difference is mostly is that we kind of started in the industry in a backwards way. Like most people I find start in either theater or through training and then take the step over to film and television and we were always we started on in commercials and doing bit parts on television so I think it was difficult for us to transition then backwards and go into the heavy set training which is not to say that I mean I crave the training sometimes sometimes I'm just like oh I just want to go to class to a class and I definitely I went to Notre Dame as well for a period of time but I just I think it was like again about the same time two or three weeks in I booked a film and I just thought well as much as I'm, I was enjoying it actually, but as much as I was enjoying the classes, I found that I I would kick myself if I looked back and I didn't get that experience on set as opposed to, you know, reading a textbook and there's nothing against, I mean, I I ended up going back and doing some more training and whatnot, but I just found that's, that was best for me. And, you know, my kind of lifestyle has always been casual work, and you also and, went to film school. So. Yeah, and I went to film school and supported myself in that way just to be able to – I just – I hated the idea um, of taking a full-time job and I would hate to find myself in a way where I prioritise a paycheck over a potential acting opportunity and I never let myself get in the way of that. And I've definitely stepped away from jobs that I felt were relying on me too much because my passion – wasn't a priority for them and I thought well that's not why I started this job this job is to support me pursuing that that passion and I've always stuck to that and you know it's risky and it's terrifying sometimes but I don't know I've been doing it for a while now and um yeah it's you know it's just the life of an actor I guess uh coming out of high school and and stepping out into the real world you guys have a unique vantage point being that you had already amassed almost 10 years of onset experience. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was definitely to Rochelle my advantage. Like we, we especially going into film school, like I, I didn't go into film school. I gradu- We graduated high school 2010. I didn't start film school until 2013 just because of I booked that film circle of lies and then I did odd jobs um acting jobs here and there and then I got to a point where I was like no I really want to understand film history as well as everyone else's role on a set I just wanted to know that when I get on the set as an actor I know what the person behind the camera is doing and the person who's you know putting my mark down on the floor I wanted to understand their perspective and what I could do to make their jobs easier so that was initially my approach and I found that it was funnily enough I, I don't know 
if it always happens. But I was the only actor in the grade. Um, there was like 60 people. And at first that was intimidating because everyone was like, oh, you're an actor, you'll do this. Oh, we've got this great bit and you can do it. And I was just like, no, I'm not here to be an actor. I'm here to, to learn everything else. And But then I found that my expertise, especially in, a, in an audition room, because it's such a sacred space for me, I understand it so well. I've been doing it since I was a kid and I know what that space feels like. And I was the go-to of allowing people to understand what, you know, even just the setup, the setup or how to greet people or giving feedback, what, what's too much feedback, what's misleading if you give an actor too much feedback. Because, you know, I've been that desperate actor who's worked out, walked out of an audition and felt like I've booked it because everyone was so lovely and, and complimentary. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, there's a fine line between uh, feedback and just yeah misleading an actor and I just you know I felt like that was something that I could pass along and it was such a privilege to be able to have that experience and then translate that into my directing as well and be able to understand working with actors and I was able to take advantage of that and co-direct with a few more technical directors in our grade um, and then you know be able to cooperate a little bit more and and kind of yeah like I can not necessarily only deal with the actors and you deal with all the specs but it was just mostly you know I could handle it and it felt it felt really really amazing to be able to just do it and make things that I've been dreaming about doing since I was a kid were there any um were there any things that were standing out in your mind in terms of like some of that feedback you're talking about like uh ways in which you wanted to educate people so from based on experiences that you'd had were there any like particularly bad experiences uh, Rochelle do you have any bad ones I mean you get the odd one here and there I think I've I've had a I do done an audition before and they've done a somewhat of an emotional scene and they've gone oh, yeah that's that's it that's how we were gonna that's how we wanted and they said oh it's just I just don't know if you look like the kind of girl this would happen to. And I've been like, oh, okay, well, gosh, is there anything I could have done differently? And they said, yeah, I probably just wouldn't have worn that dress. And you just <laughs> you just kind of think, whoa, really? Is that what's distracting you the most? Um, I think There's when also it's... also like eating, eating behind the camera. Yeah, we've had people, I've had someone eating some potato chips while I'm doing a scene and it's very distracting. And I've heard of a friend of mine was doing somewhat of an emotional scene and had someone reading a text and laugh in the middle of their audition and that kind of thing. I think it's, um, there's a certain etiquette I think that carries. Mm, actually, yeah, that was, that was something that I had to teach, um, a beautiful boy in my grade at, um, film school who was so unbelievably enthusiastic that we had, we were casting a short film that I made. Um, I wrote and directed it. It was called, um, it's time. I think. Yeah, it's time. About time. About no, no, no that's, that's about. That's, that's a very good. I film. always make. That, I definitely didn't make about time at film school. Um, I made it's time, and um, we had a beautiful actress came in, Grace, and she read beautifully, and this emotional, lovely monologue for us. And this boy in my grade was so blown away that just instinctively he burst out laughing because he in his mind had we'd found her we'd found the girl and he ran out of the room and she thought that obviously she'd done something wrong and I had to apologize and whatnot and just I was just teaching him like you know what as lovely I know you and I know what that means but to her she's embarrassed because she thinks she's done something wrong and made you laugh so there were just little things about you know just understanding an actor's mindset and 
you know, making we, it a safe space. Yeah, and we had some, you know, uh, lecturers sometimes speak about actors in ways that, well, not necessarily that we weren't people, but, you know, oh, if you don't say action, an actor won't know when to start. And <laughs> I, and I, I just said, well, you know, Clint Eastwood has always worked off the mindset of, you know, whenever you're ready or all right, that's enough of that shit whenever calling cut. Like that's that's just the the type of, it just depends on the, the, the set and it depends on the director and it depends on the actor. You know, we're, we're not stupid. Um, and just, you know, allowing the, the barriers to be broken down between these scary actors that you have to direct. It, it's more like, no, we're all people and we're all in this together and as long as we're working. Team. Yeah, it's a team effort. It's collaboration. It's, it's something fun and, and yeah, it, it, you, you, we, we were doing a little bit of research earlier, um, and you're obviously you're a director in your own right. I mean, how do you um, find communication between actor, cast, crew, all of that? Like, how do you navigate it, or have you sort of been quite lucky? Or uh, I guess, well, I um, when I came out of high school was uh, also pursuing acting and. I think similarly to you, Rochelle, went to a drama school where I didn't feel very um, stimulated. Mm. And um, I then went to film school to learn how to make films so that I would be able to cast myself in whatever I made. Haven't we all? We've all, that's always in the back of the mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I fell in love with filmmaking, but I, I guess because I already had that sort of foundation of understanding or wanting to act myself i i guess i had felt like i knew how to communicate with uh with with actors um perhaps better than and i ended up getting cast in films while i was at film school because people knew that i was uh or had come from pursuing acting uh and then after a few years of working in the um in the industry uh like crewing and stuff I went back to drama school for a year and mm-hmm. furthered my education as an actor this time as a filmmaker wanting to uh I guess learn how to communicate better with actors mm-hmm. um and it's just kind of been a leveling up of education um until maybe like five or so years ago when I started basically working full-time behind the camera. Um, Mm. I do think that's a lot that has to do with it. It really is just educating yourself on not just the the all the different roles involved and and what they entail but it also just comes down to to sort of human communication and just empathy and and compassion and and understanding that since you've been on both sides of those um the table whether it be behind the camera or in front of it or you know holding a boom or helping someone with a light or anything i think when you understand all the pressures that are involved in that you can then alleviate them when you're in charge mm-hmm. um, because it's it's really is just down to communication. If people don't know what is wanted or or, or what might um, alleviate a little bit of stress, then then it just it, it just builds and and then there's tension and that's not a productive work environment. I remember when I was at film school in one of our directing classes, we I think it was honestly one class out of the entire time there that we did sort of a an acting class we did I think a little bit of Myers and I did a bit of Stanislavski and you know it was super uncomfortable for everyone because 
no one that wasn't their forte but it was I just couldn't express to anyone enough how important it is even just do an improv class do something that puts you in an actor's shoes so you understand what they're going through because you know some actors work better with a miser some some work better with Santa Blasky some people need to loosen up and do a bit of improv before they settle into a character you know and I think it's about understanding what works because you just you have to adapt you know an actor has to adapt has to adapt to every director and every set but you know directors should be able to adapt as well and have that kind of collaboration and find the best method to all work towards the same goal yeah i think you hit the nail on the head in terms of Mm -hmm. um having the same kind of goal and i think communication and trust for me are the two biggest things i guess in a relationship between probably any creatives it's not necessarily just um actor director but um yeah i think that those are the two sort of key things as the kind of as the foundational elements yeah 100 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, i mean trust even i mean in my crewing experience trust is something that you you need to you need to feel that your your fellow crew are going to have your back and you know that I've been on sets where it, it hasn't been that way and I you know you don't you don't you don't feel like you're a part of anything it's every man for himself and that's no way to get through any production you know why why are we all here it's not especially like some of the especially when I first started out it wasn't a paycheck I was volunteering in order to get to that stage where it's a recommendation based system and I go from job to job as you know a runner and then I get second AD and then first AD and what whatnot and you've got to bounce up from that. But if you're if there's no trust and communication between the crew, you're never gonna establish those relationships and you're never gonna to wanna to work. And you know, I've run into so many different crew members over and over again. The industry is so small and I think if you don't put in that effort to support one another, it's not gonna be any fun. No. Uh and I think as you've highlighted a couple of times, um you know the the space needs to hold a certain uh, sanctity i think yeah absolutely absolutely yeah so rochelle when um when well i guess it's probably towards the tail end of karina's time at um at film school but concurrent to that you were still working uh full time and auditioning and and going for acting jobs yeah yeah i was and and i was um I, I was working in the city at um, a funeral insurance company um, and I was auditioning and I'd set myself a goal in uh, 2015, well, coming into 2015. Um, my, my, my news resolutions were to secure myself new Australian representation and to get on home and away. I just, I, I assumed just from general experience I was like I just really want that sink or swim um experience and 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 even if it was a guest star even I I just I wanted to be on a set like that that was this well-oiled machine that I just had to adapt I just knew that I would be able to uh learn from that and then um um what was it beginning of April uh, I signed with my my current team and I think it was three weeks later I was on home and away um it was the first brief that came through Olivia which was just crazy um and I remember I a friend of mine who grew up watching the show my audition scene was with the character VJ Leah's son and she was like I watched him be born like she was just amazed that I was (laughs) I was getting to talk to VJ in the scene. Um, and so, yeah, it was this whole thing because, I mean, 
apart from Karina's, um, Karina's, excuse me, um, (laughs) your guest star, um, years ago when we were very young, um, we'd not grown up watching it. And so I was not aware of the huge, uh, viewing like the, the audience that it has and not just here but obviously internationally and it's um so so supportive and and I just really wasn't prepared for that which I think is a good thing because if I'd known there would have been this crazy amount of pressure and and the first audition came around it was one of my first auditions that I had with my new agency and I thought I stuffed it really I I um was like oh well you know she gave me that direction I just think my my instincts were off I don't know and then yeah a week or so later I found out I had a callback but it was just before the Logies and which kind of meant everything shut down for a couple of days so I had to wait before I found out my date and my audition scenes and all of that and yeah and then I think I I went in a, a week or so later for the audition it was on a Wednesday and I went to work on uh, the the next day and I think it was the Friday I sort of was on my way home and my my agent called me think and I just assumed that it was the we haven't heard anything you're here next week call I thought it was just a bit of a pep talk before the weekend and I was on the train with my friend and she she said oh they'd like to offer you the role and we were heading towards a tunnel and I didn't want to lose her and I made my friend jump off the train with me and I was just in a huge panic and yeah it sort of just really changed um, everything for me just to, it was the first time I'd ever quit a day job. But you didn't, didn't want to. You were like, maybe I shouldn't. And I, I said, thought, maybe, you're going to work on Monday. Yeah. You've got to go. You're on the well, next was, week. It's that scary thing of, well, what if they change their mind? I, I just, I'd never had the the option. Like no actor ever gets 46 weeks a year for three years. That just doesn't happen. Um, and so I was just terrified that what if it wasn't real? And, um, yeah, it was the first time I'd ever quit a job and, went in and um and yeah signed my contract and and a week later I was at Palm Beach and yeah it was it was really incredible and and it just I I think that there's such a different experience that can happen with home and away because it is you really are thrown in that there's you get a day where you're you're in every single scene of the day there's 12 scenes and you're just non-stop and all of that and and it's, it can be pretty intense and I thrived in that environment and it can be really intimidating but I think the benefit of um, Home and Away is that because it is this well-oiled machine, there's so many people there that have been there since day dot and there's just no dumb questions and I'm a question asker and whether you be the, the gaffer or the editor or one of the producers or a writer, there is always someone for me to ask questions and learn. So that was my film school um, and my acting school because it was – you just had to learn what everyone – yeah, I really did have to learn on the go and so it was it was more than I could have asked for really. How many uh, scenes were you sort of looking at on a, on a daily basis on the reg? Um, it really varied um, because it kind of ebbs and flows with your storyline but I, I remember one day uh, we're out on location and it was a specific location for my storyline and I think it was – 12 or 14 scenes that we did and you only have um, an hour maximum really for a scene Um, and that includes set up camera rehearsal line runs uh, you know everything all of it and then shooting uh, you know your wides your mids your close your extreme close um, your home and away extreme close Um, you get all (laughs) so that that's all of it within an hour and so you really um, you really got to nail it and that doesn't matter if it's just a walking down the street scene or if it's your character's epiphany emotional scene. It's That's all you get. So you really learn to just 
be ready to step up and do it. And, and also if you don't get it, you really learn to just let it go and move on, which, which for me being the perfectionist that I am, it was such a great environment for me to really um, work on my perfectionism and, and understand that a, it gives me my values, but B it, it can't get in the way of my creative goals. I, I, I can't get in the way of the process of it because I have to enjoy the play. And I think that's what home and away really at the end of the day taught me was that the thing that I value is what we do on set because it's at the end of the day, you are a, um, you are a small cog in a 22 minute episode and it's not just about you. It's never just about you. So this scene that you think is the epitome of your character and it's going to shake their storyline up completely. It ends up getting chopped up to less than two minutes and all of a sudden it's this tiny thing. And so I really valued the, the, the preparation and the, the filming experience and knowing that I've done as much as I can and then it's out of my hands and letting that go, um, which I think was really valuable for me and I think it's, it's valuable for, for most performers, that letting go <laughs> aspect. Yeah. Were there any sort of uh, specific days or or, or moments where uh, you felt like, fuck, this is uh, this is this is hard or difficult? Yeah, I mean, it, it can be. Um, th- 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 we have sort of lots of. Oh gosh, I mean, I, I mean, I do remember. I had one scene where my character. She just found out she was pregnant and it was leading into this storyline where it was the first abortion ever actually executed on the show and we had to really fight for the word abortion, not just termination and all of that. And and I felt this huge pressure. I think I'd only been on the show for six months and I just really wanted to prove that I could handle it. And there was this scene where I was, I'd found out I was pregnant but I wasn't telling my boyfriend and it was supposed to be this really emotional thing. And then halfway through filming we had a crazy thunderstorm hit Palm Beach and so you your complete mojo is just interrupted and 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 I just I was really frazzled and then we finally I think half an hour later it had passed and it was safe for us to film again and you got to sort of get back to that place and that sort of oh I've I've got to get back into it and and no one can really help you and you just really got to learn to rely on yourself and I I got to the point where I was like okay I I know that I can do it and and you know what if I can't get there I learned to fake it because you have to rely on that. And, um, yeah, I mean, there was that. But then also another thing that um, Home and Away provides you, a po- positive and negative but leading to a, to growth, is that it is um, a show that's widely publicised. And, and it's just so rare to get any sort of publicity training in Australia. A lot of the, the projects that you get, if it's not a Neighbours or a Home and Away, it's it's comes and it goes sometimes and sometimes no pos, um, no publicity. So you get thrown into to the world of it and, and it really teaches you um, to protect yourself. To protect yourself and, and, and also what part of your um, creative artist you want to publicise because some of it, that's just for me and um, that's that's for me and my process and it's but also to value what you discuss uh, to, to value yourself as an artist as opposed to um, personality not just yeah well at pers- to be a personality but also to and I don't know if uh, speaking as a woman you you can put it on the woman of you know the questions that are how do you keep your bikini body and whatnot however the men on the show on a home a show such as home in a way you, you they get those sorts of questions too but I think really learning to um value what you want to promote um what messages you want to 
put out there and not because you put yourself up there as some sort of martyr and someone that people should follow, but just because you do, people do read the things that are out there. And I think you just sort of really learn to shape your values, which was a really tricky thing for me. I think I went for it through a period where it was really uncomfortable because I don't, no one really likes talking about themselves or posing. I'm not a model in any form, but then, then I really shunned it for a while because I kind of got burned and then, and then I learned to arm myself with information and training and um, yeah, that was a that was a really great lesson because that is something that along with the perfectionism and 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 really trusting yourself, that's something that I'll carry on forever. That's not something that's just for home and away. So it was a huge industry lesson as well. And I guess you were given a platform and a voice. I mean, if you're looking at some of the issues that were dealt with, on the show, things like self-harm and things like mm. childhood abuse. You know, these are not uh, the kind of bog-standard uh, themes that you would normally associate with a home and away or a neighbour's. Well, absolutely, and especially not on a 7 o'clock time slot. I, I think for, for, for me, playing Olivia, um, I really valued from day dot that that my my storyline wasn't ever you know car chases and and your explosions and all of that it was it was issues that happened day to day and and I was she was a previously sexually abused girl who self-harmed as a result of it she had a teenage pregnancy that she aborted and um she was someone who then also relapsed and then decided to go and report her abuser and that was a terrifying thing and it was things that aren't you we might we might be talking in the world of home and away but that's not far-fetched that stuff happens and I took that with a real responsibility to the point where you're on the show long enough and you start to argue and fight for your character especially for me I, I got to the point where with Olivia I think the um longer I played her I and the the personal experience I had with having people um, come up to me with their stories and resonate with her journey and resonate with the honesty in which the stories had been told. I, I really valued and took on that responsibility to the point where the further along um, that I got on it, I, I really started to uh, fight for the type of woman we were putting on screen. The older that Olivia got and the older that I got, I just was so aware of the fact that we were putting out there a character that could very well be a role model for people, um, whether that be of, oh, I want to be a fashion designer or I I want to be in a committed relationship or whatever. Whatever it was, um, it, it's something that people look at and go, oh, but Olivia did it. And I was just very focused on that. And so when we had a couple of things come up where I uh, sort of put my foot down in the sense of, I didn't want to be irresponsible with how we progressed her story, especially when it came to things like self-harm and a relapse or anything like well, that. You did I did your research too. You I did. I did my research and I and I understood what her triggers were and, and I eventually came to the point where I said, look, I, I feel like we need to consider the responsibility here when I have people that come up to me in a food court who have – uh, you know, scars all up their arm and hug me and thank me for telling their story um, authentically and honestly. And I, we just really have to understand the messages we're putting out there. And that really had an effect on me that what we do, whether you're on a seven o'clock time slot on, on Channel 7 or you're an independent feature or you're something on Netflix, 
the stories that we put out there are watched and the information, whether it's conscious or unconscious, is taken in. And if you're telling a real story, you should think of it wisely. Um, and that really affected how I approached the character and worked with the writers on it. But also it, I, I carry that with me now, the types of characters that I want to play. I, I don't just want to play a, a woman that is a tag along to a man. I think I, as much as I valued Olivia, I really, we worked hard to make her her own independent. I think she was very attached to Hunter and that her, a lot of her value felt like it was there for a while. And I found that quite frustrating and really worked against that. And I think we got there in the end, which I was very proud of. Um, but I think now, especially we're living in a time where we can tell a bit more of a varied story of a woman, uh, but I'm really fighting for that and, and upholding uh, that value. And when approaching either productions that I'm writing myself or um, the things that I'm auditioning for and the characters that I go for. I, I just don't really uh, think that we have time or, or we should put uh, female characters out there that, that aren't putting out a message that maybe young a, a young woman might follow. You know, we, we want them to be positive. I mean, you guys have been in and around the industry for, what, uh, 15, 16 years working Gosh. pretty consistently <laughs> do you feel as though there is actually genuine uh, kind of change happening is is there actually a transition i mean what are you guys seeing from the point of view of you know people who are not only working as um as as actors but also you know in making your own projects and your own productions are you seeing a change or is it kind of uh, a myth at the moment uh, well, I mean, I have opinions on this, but mm. Karina, do you? Yeah, look, you know, there are still the the scripts that come across the table that are, you know, either very much, you know, a stereotype of a woman written by a man, which is, you know, unfor unfortunate. You know, there's, those things do come across and, you know, depending on the project, it's, it's worth a look and sometimes it's about taking a stand. But I think it's also about... Um, I really respect a few a few casting directors that I've been into lately who I'm auditioning for a role that was specifically written for a man in a script that was written um, by men and the, literally there was a film that I went for not long ago that every character in, in the film was a man and there wasn't a female mentioned in the whole thing and it wasn't until the casting directors pointed it out to the director and they said look we will take this project on board as long as we can flip the lead for a female and I was lucky enough to be brought into that and those are the types of steps that need to be taken that you know from the ground up that, that people need to be saying no while, while that is an important story, there is no reason why that story can't be told by a woman. There is nothing about that character that can't be feminine or, be you know, it doesn't need to be a woman's story. It's just it, it makes no difference really and that's that's the thing that I think I, I really are, um, I'm noticing is that people are working hard to um, distinguish those sorts of characters. And and also, I mean, from a, from a filmmaker's uh, point of view, we were lucky enough to have a short film that we worked on with director, uh, writer, actually, uh, Liz McClelland at Sydney Film Festival this year. And the um, Dandy Shorts program that we were in, they had all the directors stand up and we had 80% women and it was so amazing to see that. standing ovation. Because that wasn't also, that, that wasn't um, 
just thrown out there so that we got the women out there. It was that those films were absolutely incredible and it was the work spoke for itself. And Yeah, don't feel like you're just ticking an industry box. Yeah, and I mean personally for me, um, I, I feel like there um, – the, the pendulum has a bit further to swing, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I recently, well, not too recently, but uh, read a script where every character description, um, the only the, the female uh, characters had a comment on their appearance. Every other man didn't and it was, you know, crazy hot or this woman's had lots of plastic surgery or whatever, but no comments on the appearance for the man and things like that I, I, I'm very aware of and... Um, mm-hmm. And because it's just not necessary. Um, But I will say that you do go for a lot of characters and not just characters our own age, but we often go for characters younger. I think that there's just a a real intelligence that is being put into these characters because that's what's out there. Women aren't just uh, something that hangs on your arm or greets you when you come home and make sure everything's ready for you. It's some, someone that has their own stories and their own brain and their own complexities. And, and I've really recently been able to go for some beautifully complex women and, um, and working and the men behind the scenes as well. Some, some complex writers that are women and, um, but also women and men working together and it not being an argument and it not being a battle um, you know, even even second second best, all the heads of department just so happened to be women, and it wasn't something that was forced. It wasn't something that was like, no, we're going to be all women. It was just something that the best person the best person for the job. And and that that also happened with Izzy Stevens' phenomena. You know, it was it was writer director. I think we had first AD and um, art department camera um, uh, D- DOP. Yeah. yeah, and it was it was the same, and it it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's this, you know, we're going to do it, but women's style. Like it doesn't feel that way. And I think that those sorts of things I really appreciate. But again, there are certain steps I think that people people, people could be working harder, I think, for certain things that are slipping through the cracks that we're kind of having to put our foot down and be like, no, I'm sorry, I won't be seen for something like that because I think I that character could be defined as something other than just how she reflects as opposed to the man, you know, in, in, her, in his story. You know, she has mm. her own story. And and, and, and Karina and I, being um, filmmakers ourselves, we, we've, we've, we've written a couple of things where there's it's been really lovely to not feel like there was roadblocks with the fact that we were two young women uh, pitching pitching a project and the, the support um, and also the demand as well for it. I've, I've felt that. So I, I do think that the pendulum does have a bit further to swing, but I can feel it swinging. So I'm feeling hopeful, but I'm not um, – I don't. I don't feel rested in in uh, the change. I, I I definitely feel like we've got a long way to go, and I'm and and I'm ready for it. It's an interesting uh, interesting time, I guess, and an interesting prism to consider things through. And I guess there were two sort of things that came to mind uh, as you guys were were talking. And the first was that you know in speaking about the part where it was um, an entirely male uh, cast and mm. the casting agent said, well, we'll take the project on if you change the lead from a male to a female. Now, I think that um, 
I kind of agree with the the sentiment that stories are universal, but mm. don't you guys think in a sense that's kind of it's kind of treating a symptom as opposed to treating a cause like you you're not really the issue isn't that the script is all male cast the issue is that the person who wrote it didn't think there was an issue with writing an all-male cast yeah Corinna yeah I I think that you know it's it's like it's baby steps and unfortunately you know it's a case by case like you know not every story is going to be adapted that way like I'm I'm not I'm not expecting to be playing James Bond James Bond right now well I mean I could you could it's 2018 but I mean, I don't think they're going to be knocking on my door. But yeah, I yeah, like I, I don't think I'll be you know Hugh Jackman in the next biopic. But I just I think that um, you know it's it, it is baby steps and it's about changing it from the ground up. And and I think that it's a matter of awareness. Awareness, and I think it, it's about starting the change from a film school level, from from the ground up. You know, we need to be making those changes from the get-go I think because you know it, it's you can't unfortunately our society has been shaped the way it has because of the predetermined factors and that's unfortunately the way that history has shaped us but you know we're setting the standard now for the future and we fortunately enough are a part of that future we're young filmmakers who can take those steps for ourselves and whether that is I'm lucky enough to put myself in a lead because I wrote and directed it that's one thing, but it's also about telling those stories and then showing other male and female young filmmakers that they can do that too and saying that that story is valuable enough and that story has an audience and that story is important and, you know, a female's perspective isn't something that only 50% of the population is going to be interested in. You know, Big big Little Lies, like that was headed by four incredible females, but you know, I, male, female, it doesn't matter. Everyone loves that show because it's just great and it shouldn't be, oh, okay, that's, you know. A woman's show. A woman's show. It's not about I I will say that I I do agree with you that it is is treating, you know, it's, I don't think that we should, I think it's a good place to start because it's it's how change happens. However, I don't think it starts at the um, to, to argue with you, Karina. No, we can um, argue I, I don't. On, on I don't think air. it starts with the film school. I think it starts. It's a general. Uh, it's it's something you're taught. Um, Societal you know, endemic. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's something that you're taught. Epidemic. And so if 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 women are are brought up to feel secondary, then they will continue continue being put in that position and if men are and are taught that women are secondary they'll continue to put them secondary and I think that that's something that the people that are old enough now to try and make those changes yes make them because they need to be made however I feel like it's it's a societal shift and a, a definite paradigm shift that we need to implement um and soon and and now um because the the world is no longer waiting for it they're um, ready for it, and they're we're not, they're we're not doing putting it. up with it. We're not putting up with it anymore. Yeah, yeah, and I, that kind of segues into the second uh, thing that I that I was going to highlight from what you said before, which is that uh, you, you know talking about um, at the Sydney Film Festival and how all of the films that were there weren't there because they were led by women they were there because they all deserve to be there but there's yeah. there's again an interesting kind of prism to look at 
that concept through because you talk about like crewing on a film and, and the, putting the right people in the jobs. And it's all well and good to say that, but the fundament, there's a fundamental issue that up until even just a few years ago, the only people who believed they were the right people for the jobs were white men. So mm-hmm. to kind of try and diversify that means that you need to be addressing it on an educational level so that anyone who wants to have an opportunity to do that can do that and can have can believe that there is an opportunity for them to do that so that they're not feeling like, well, if I enter into this field, it's going to be a fucking nightmare to actually make anything happen. Mm, yeah, for sure. A- abs- absolutely. I-, I totally agree. And and, and again, it, it's a the societal thing. So I think that it's it's all based on opportunity and, and, it's, and it's not based on opportunity of when you apply for the job. It's when the idea springs to you that you can do the job. If there's no support around you, if you don't see a, uh, you know, South American woman that is the the director of a film or a series, then it's very hard for a young South American woman to think that she can do that. So I think it it's it's about representation from from gender, from ethnicity, and and all of that. But it's it's opportunity to to know that one day that opportunity is going to be there, so that when you chase that, um, it has to start when when we're a lot younger and and. And it is an educational thing. So I think um, that that shift, I think we're in a shift now that will only start shifting the, the younger generations because it's going to be more and more women now are going to, I think, well, sorry, more and more young young women are going to go, okay, I am going to chase that crazy dream of being a director because now it's not so crazy now because we do have a, a, a wider representation of women uh directing film and television and theater and and um all the the shift is happening and so i do think that it has to start a lot younger yeah absolutely um and you guys are now making your own projects as well are you feeling um is there a sense of like uh empowerment from doing that like you're not sort of relying on other people to give you jobs or to write the films that you guys want to see made yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Rochelle and I. Um, we've always, you know, been so excited by the fact that every every audition that we get is such a different character and such a different story, and there are so many different genres, and that's thrilling. However, as an actor, you know, you audition for a hundred projects, you maybe book one, and that's just, you know, that's not because you're bad. That's just the rate of the industry that's just how it is you audition more that you work and it's all about making those relationships and you know every audition that I do it's a chance to be seen by a casting director and you'll make a fan and they'll think of you in the future and that's all well and good and we love that but the fact that we are taking it upon ourselves to be able to go you know what I really want to tell a story about this and I would love to play a character who's like this and we're able to explore that ourselves it's incredibly empowering to be able to have that control and you know I've always been interested in storytelling and creative writing and whatnot and being able to kind of channel that into something that I can one day say or one day um, you know frame up and one day edit like there's the amount of possibilities that there are out there it's so rewarding and not even being a part in front of the camera, you know, see, directing Rochelle into something or directing, you know, friends of friends. I, I had the privilege of um, 
I wrote and directed a short film called In the Red and I wrote it specifically for our legendary mate, um, Yuri, Yuri Kovic, and he he's just he, he's such a gem and I would there were so many possibilities of, you know, cutting around the story just to frame him up in a better way and that was so much fun and I, I was in, I had, a, I had a supporting role. I was kind of equal in the writing process but as the film went on I was like, nah, this it's is his fun. movie, this is his movie and it was so fun. There's no there's no ego in that and I think it, it becomes a part of the story and the story that we want to tell whether I'm in front of the camera or not but it's such a privilege to be able to get the satisfaction of making the film that I would go and sit down and watch or the web series that I would you know, subscribe to. Like those are the, we have the ability now, you know, everyone can pick up their phone and, and make something and whatnot. And I think I, I've had the, I've been, had the opportunity to have the, have the education to do so. And why not? Like, I mean, I wouldn't even call it the privilege. It's the, you, you have the right to do it. You, we, we have the tools, we have the education, we have the uh, support around us and we have the ideas. So I, I don't think, um, it, it doesn't feel it's 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 vulnerable for sure, especially for for me. I it's a I mean I I just my perfectionism it makes me super vulnerable to all of it. But it's an exciting challenge of growth and creativity and vulnerability. I I, I and to be able to do it with Karina, I think we we bounce well off each other. We're very blunt with one another, and it's never out of uh, being mean or bitter to one another. It's just to be productive where we don't beat around the bush. And um, it's been really fulfilling um and and it's really informed my my acting work that we're not producing just the whether it be an audition or a show that comes along or anything like that it's it's informed that I think you just continue to learn and and I I am so interested in every aspect of what we do so it's just really getting me to get that little bit more of an education which is wonderful and we don't get to work together that often we were very lucky that second best let alone phenomena came around you know like I said twins isn't cute now and it's harder to make stories that are twins and we also you know I love being a twin and it's great I also know nothing else so it could be terrible (laughs) but ultimately you know I'm an individual and I have desires of my own and we have such different approaches. You know, we go for the same auditions all the time and Rochelle will read a scene and it'll be incredible. And then I'll read it and it'll, I mean, it'll be equally incredible, (laughs) but it'll be so different. And, you know, that's just the pleasure of being such individuals, but this is something that we can really work together. And whether we're writing something for ourselves or writing something just in general, we get to be creative together. And again, just be blunt and be like, nah, that idea is shit. Nah, let's do something else. And it, it's so it's so open and honest and vulnerable and exciting to think of all the possibilities and the things that we can achieve together. That's awesome. It's like you've got a kind mm. of inbuilt uh, creative soulmate. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. that's, a, that's a really beautiful way to put it. I think we should write that down. <laughs> We're creative soulmates. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, thank you so much, guys, for uh, for chatting with me on the show. Um, I end all of the conversations with the same question. The question is, what makes you guys silly? Oh, that's cute. Um, Shall you can go first. Oh, what makes me silly? Um, I think... Ooh, I think Karina makes me pretty silly. I, and that sounds like a really simple thing, but I think the openness to to being so I I I love it. I love a good giggle, and um, I 
I want to give a great answer. <laughs> you know what makes me silly? A compliment because I don't know what to do with it. So I immediately, <laughs> so I immediately turn it either into you. Karina goes, this is how it goes. Okay. Just Rochelle. Okay. So I'll go, oh my gosh, Karina looks so beautiful. She's like, oh my God, why? And, and it becomes this silly thing back and forth. And it's an almost. Or I'll hear that someone talked about me and I'll be like, tell me everything. And like, because I, I just, I hate, I hate the idea of someone talking about you when you're not there and all the things that they could say about you, they'd never say to your face. So I think a compliment is such an interesting thing because you're like, oh, where is this here we going? Go. I found it. Answer for both of us. Okay. I think it's anxiety makes us silly. Oh, which is all the time. <laughs> you know, I've interviewed like, I don't know how many people on this show, almost entirely people who work in creative anxiety inducing uh, jobs or industries and no one's ever said anxiety is something that makes them silly, but it would probably be universal. Oh, it oh. just, it does the darndest things. <laughs> oh, you should, I mean, today, Rochelle and I went um, rock climbing as research for a role I'm doing recently, uh, uh, coming Soon. up. And, and I mean, being at the top of a rock climbing wall, the anxiety, I mean, I didn't even think I was scared of heights, but apparently I am. It's and very that, rational. That anxiety <laughs> just does the the most silly things to me. And, you know, the, the, the rate in which I go from excitement to tears to laughing, I'm just, I mean, I've got so much. It's a roller coaster. So much range, you know. <laughs> and if that's not silly, I don't know what is. <laughs> that's a good punctuation. Thank you so much, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alistair. It's been lovely chatting to you.